from Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I'm really excited to have Lars Furtish. Uh, he's the Principal Consultant and Managing Director at Precious Communications. Lars, it's really nice to have you on. Thanks, Brad. Very happy to be here. Really excited. So can you please uh, tell our audience a bit about yourself? Who is Lars? <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm originally from a, a country in the middle of Europe, Germany, but now in Asia for oh, close to 19 years. Um, 20 years of experience having worked in in-house communications, started dabbling in journalism when I I started out um, and now um, having worked in some of the large global agencies in public relations and now running my own uh, venture for, for about 10 years. That's uh, Precious Communications with about 60 people in the region. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad in my career I worked with uh, Dow Jones, shook Rupert Murdoch's hands. Some people will say yay, others will say nay, but it was a great experience. <laughs> uh, worked with DHL when it became yellow. Also, some people don't remember that was always the case. Um, and throughout the journey, I had really the pleasure and honor working with brands like Citibank, Coca-Cola, um, The Economist, um, Lufthansa, Porsche. We did a driving academy for journalists that was nice. awesome. Um, and, and that across uh, across multiple countries. So that's uh, really an exciting journey so far. I love but the that. Best is, the best is yet to come. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's awesome. And uh, for those that don't know out there listening, uh, tell us a bit about Precious Communications, what you guys do, what your focus is, all that stuff. Sure. So we are um, a multi-award winning regional communications consultancy focused on what I call greater Southeast Asia. So we're based out of Singapore. And for those that are not familiar with Southeast Asia, it's like 650 million people um, in between Australia uh, India, China, and then uh, China, Japan, and, and uh, the rest of the Middle East, Europe there. Um, and we have our own operations right now covering Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, uh, Australia, Philippines, Vietnam, where we're expanding into. And we're part of a global network where we can uh, also uh, run campaigns. And we just do that frequently from Japan to the US, from Pakistan to uh, Dubai. Very cool. Um, and uh, with, uh, within the last two or three years, we've done more and more from the classic media relations, moving more into an integrated marketing space. If you look at it from a sales funnel, it's, it's really looking from just brand awareness also. How can we increase intent and get people excited to interact with brands? And that could be government programs, it could be NGOs, it could be chambers of commerce and, and these kind of things. That's awesome. So let's dive into today's topic, which is how companies should approach uh, the Southeast Asian market. Obviously, you said, you know, 650 million people, many different countries, huge opportunity for companies out there. How should they be looking at Southeast Asia? And how do you get into that market? Say we're a company from Australia, the US, Canada, any of, you know, maybe Europe, and we're looking at Southeast Asia and this big opportunity, but how do we get started? How do we approach this market from a marketing standpoint, communications, mm -hmm. PR, all that stuff? 
Thanks. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a very exciting um, area, right? Uh, geographic area. The people is really, it's it's not that um, it's it's very diverse, right? You have different cultures, religions, languages, uh, history for hundreds or thousands of years that are all together. So it's not a homogeneous kind of landmass or, or uh, people. So you really have to think about uh, which markets do I want to enter first and where am I, right? Because for some countries, we had big currency fluctuations where suddenly if you have your list price in US dollars and suddenly it increased by 50%, are you still... Uh, viable for that market for people to, to buy into, right? Mm. Um, yeah. Or you have countries where you have more constant government change, like in Thailand. Uh, you have countries like Vietnam that's run by one government basically since the war that shall not be named. Um, and, and you know, it's just the opportunities that are there is so exciting. It's the uh, growing middle class. It's uh, people that grew up with mobile first as the digital device. So they don't remember those dial-up nightmares. <laughs> um, they are, uh, some of them are highly educated. Um, and you have an average uh, GDP growth of four to 6%. That's on the surface, the micro level. But then you really have to deep dive and say, okay, do I want to go and be a, in the logistics play? Then you most likely look into where is the infrastructure, right? So Thailand traditionally has automotive manufacturing or has uh, Japanese uh, electronics manufacturing for a long time. Um, are you more in the hospitality space? Are you in um, medical where, where Singapore is massively investing into? So it's really like understanding which industry and vertical are you in? Um, how much sure of an audience do you need for your brand to be there? And then it's the purchasing power that's required. That's growing, but it's, again, it's it's multiple languages. And we've seen a couple of global companies that tried, oh, let's do Southeast Asia. Uh, you have to do one market at a time, mm. unless you're really at a, maybe at an enterprise level where you roll out and then every global branch need to do it. But otherwise you have to really conquer uh, one kingdom at a time. No, it's it's and it's like the anecdotes you use, the jokes that you want to put or the puns you want to put in your marketing, uh, understanding that uh, for some countries it's the Christmas holiday season as we might know it, for others it's Ramadan as the biggest thing for consumer sales, or it's the 11, 11, 12, 12 from China coming in, or it's Songkran festival in, in, in Thailand. So it's really understanding what's the cultural uh, framework that you have to adhere to and not the other way around. Totally. So really, you know, we, we say Southeast Asia, but it's really the Vietnamese market, the mm -hmm. Philippines, Singapore, you know, there are all these individual uh, spaces that all add up, you know, together to be Southeast Asia. But it sounds like as a brand is approaching this market, think in terms of what is our Philippine strategy? What is our Vietnamese strategy? And, and kind of uh, go from there. Yes. And it's like, you know, if you, uh, we did a, um, some work on a hospitality story for the Philippines and you can look at, into it and said, okay, they have, uh, 10,000s of islands, what makes it a logistical nightmare. But if you're in the water plane uh, business, that means you have 10,000 landing strips. Mm. 
Yeah. So, so it really like uh, making it work for you is the important part, right? And are you only focusing on the key capital markets where you most likely have a higher purchase power and these things? Or do you want to really become a mass play? Then you have to approach it uh, very differently. And, and we've seen some country, uh, some companies here um, that conquered that because they localized their offers from Traveloka to Grab. Uh, Grab took over the Uber assets in or merged with them a couple of years ago. And they, they just had a very spectacular Nasdaq uh, listing that are kind of the uh, following a little bit of the concept of what we've seen in China with super apps. So that one app that you use every day from groceries to food ordering to your transport to going into the fintech space. So we see a lot of innovation in the fintech space, for example, because it's an, we can't understand it, but there, there are tons of people that don't have a bank account or a credit card. So you have unbanked and underbanked. So how can you help them uh, with banks not wanting to put up branches there, or they don't have the kind of income streams that we used to, where digital innovation, mobile access can actually help them, right? With payment models, with loan models, uh, getting access to learning, getting access to money, getting access to jobs, uh, health, and, and these kind of things. And th that makes it really exciting. And that's where we need to plug in, right? Yeah, totally. So I'm a marketer out there and I'm thinking about our global strategy in Southeast Asia. Uh, how do I know like which market to go after first? Uh, sounds like you got to go kind of one by one. Where do I start? <laughs> um, traditionally, Singapore is a great kind of landing part to, to, to evaluate because it's really a, it's a hub for greater Southeast Asia. We have a lot of brands sitting here. A lot of budgets are controlled here, right? Hmm. And it's a tough market. It's it's just uh, 6 million people, 40 times 60 kilometers. So you have a high density of decision makers uh, with a small audience. So uh, you really, it's, it's a test bed. But then it's really like from here, it's a good hub to then uh, go out. Uh, most companies would have Indonesia on their on their on their deck because just of over 200 million people, um, it's just a, the the pure size of of, of uh, the country and the opportunities, right? Um, others would say, hey, we we want to go Malaysia because it's maybe uh, more at the maturity level of the economy. Um, so it really depends on where do you think your product fits in from a marketing. It's really product market fit, where you really have to think about uh, where is the market? Is my product acceptable? Um, because the typical thing, you don't want to be the first in the market. You want to be the last one. So how much would you have to spend also on market education, right? Yeah. And we've seen that like Foodpanda came here and spent tons of market education and then Deliveroo came up. They didn't need to explain the concept. They just were focusing on CBD areas, better product, uh, higher margins, uh, didn't need to explain the market. We're the same mm -hmm. like that, just better. Uh, and, and they had a good role when they when they entered the market, right? Yeah, it's so, all. Um, really depending on where you want to go. And is it a me to product? Um, where you're on the cloud journey, we still have countries like, like Thailand, to some extent where uh, purchase departments, IT departments like on-premise installations. So just mm. cloud infrastructure is a thing or data, uh, where is your data uh, stored? A lot of countries are still catching up but have basic uh, rules in place on what can you do with your, your banking uh, customer data? Where can you store it? 
So then you need to think about also where is your, your cloud infrastructure on data centers and so on and so forth, right? Totally. So it sounds like there's a lot of intricacies to every market and, and cultural things you have to think about and all this. Um, let's talk about like, wh what is a good local uh, partner strategy? Should, should we go recruit people from uh, Indonesia and, and, and kind of have them as a local partner? Should we set up a base of operations in Malaysia and then those people work with folks in Indonesia? Or what, what's a good strategy there? Um, just by the pure need to have local language knowledge, you, you need somebody who has been in the market, knows the market, and can also understand where, you know, like, oh, we're the big global brand, we're entering, everybody should welcome us with open arms, doesn't work anymore, right? So what's the need that you sold for that market at that point? And market always means people, right? So I would either, either you need a strong local partner, uh, it could be a distributor, a, a channel partner, it could be a JV setup, um, and or somebody, and that worked really well, somebody who has been uh, educated overseas, so also to has the, uh, the American, the European, the whatever, uh, Japanese mindset, but also knows how that relates. So you need somebody often to play that translator in, in both ways. Otherwise, otherwise, you might actually end up like Bill Murray and in, in Lost in Translation, where you <laughs> don't know how, do, how does it fit in? How do I fit in, right? So yes, um, having a partner in all kinds of different shapes or forms that knows both worlds and can adapt how, how, we, how it works in one market, how can we make it work here is, is very, very crucial. And, and that's what we do sometimes for our clients to play that 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 role to say, hey, yeah, that works, but this one might not. Yeah, totally. So I'm a marketer maybe in the US thinking about our, you know, our strategy and all this. Where do I go about finding these partners? Uh, do I just have our recruiting organization go pound the pavement or do book a plane ticket and fly over there and just start meeting people? What's a good um, avenue to start building these relationships and connections and all this? Um, there are there are multiple ways, right? So, so one thing, of course, and, and that's a, self, a little bit self-serving, I have to admit, but um, marketing agencies like ours, a lot of times are those bridge builders because, hey, you should talk to the um, association of SMEs in Jakarta because they are working with your, your kind of, of uh, customers they might be the best people to work with, right? Sometimes chambers of commerce are actually a great uh, starting point because they also have their market entry offers. Um, then you have like in Singapore, you have the Economic Development Board that really mm -hmm. wants to make it easy for brands and companies to enter the market. So they have support services that can tell you, hey, uh, this one, or if you set up an office here, you actually might get some grants, do market readiness assessments and, and these kind of things, right? Um, and then the oldest trick in the book, look what your competitors that might have been here already, what they have done and what worked for them or not, right? Love that. That's awesome. So as we're wrapping up here, this is all awesome advice. And I think people love stories and they love to you know hear those stories. Um, you've been obviously involved in a lot of different things. You've been on multiple uh, boards and board of directors and all this and been in many different countries. What's a fun story as we're wrapping up that you have to kind of share in this whole communication space in Southeast Asia? Um, <laughs> it's um, 
for, for the longest time, um, our Indonesia team told us two things don't work in Indonesia when you want to do um, media relations and marketing. One is embargoes. So you send a story to them beforehand uh, because then sometimes they just, they want to uh, adhere to the embargo, but their editor gives doesn't care and publish it. Second one is virtual events don't work. That mm. was pre-COVID, right? And then we didn't have a chance and actually it works really well. So we, we're doing embargoes with stronger relationships that we built over the time. Um, and um, yeah, we had uh, great online online events with, with Zoom now. Uh, where the infrastructure was pit, uh, was catching up. But yeah, I mean, the story was actually we tried embargoes and the journalists say, yeah, we, we embargo, it's, it's Monday, 9 a.m. But then down the chain, it got lost in translation within the media publishing house. And suddenly it was up like the day before, like everybody panicking. So who do we call on a Sunday to take it offline? Right? Oh, Once the cat is out of the bag, how do you, how do you try to get it back into it? Yeah, totally. That's a, that's a fun story. So uh, last question here, uh, what key advice uh, should other marketers out there um, that are thinking about Southeast Asia and all this take away? What key advice would you have for them? Um, a lot of Asian countries, um, and you know, there are I think 41, over 40 different countries just here and Southeast Asia is 11, are about building trust. Um, so just directly jumping in with let's do business might backfire badly. So you need to build relationships and trust. Once that, it might be a lifelong kind of business opportunity, but jumping in with, hey, uh, let, let, let's do a deal and it's all obvious, uh, might be the, the, the wrong way to be successful. Um, you, you need to have a midterm plan, not a short-term uh, in here and, and just sell fire and forget uh, that might be really really uh, destructive in in, in your long term opportunities here. I love that. Well, that's great advice. It's been awesome to have you on here on the podcast. Really appreciate all your wisdom and insights and expertise and all that. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. And I mean, I'm 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 still a foreigner after nearly 20 years here. So I'm learning every day. And I'm always amazed by our 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 colleagues or journalists in the markets that tell me, like, hey, maybe you want to consider that, or why haven't you done that? It's like, yes, but you know, you don't know what you don't know. So it's really like dip your toe into the water, otherwise you never know how, how it feels. Very cool. So quick plug, um, how can others get a hold of you out there if uh, they're listening to this and they're like, yeah, I want to chat with Lars? Sure. Just uh, go search for Precious Communications, preciouscoms.com, um, or Google my name. There are not that many with my my combination of, of first, last names, and then you'll get a hold of me. Sounds great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining, Lars, and uh, you have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Brad. Take care.